Bye, guys. Make sure that when you get in the car, you find out what kind of a pie mom and dad bought. Because they're bringing home a pie today from church. (laughs) That's right. So today is the uh, 16th. And so here's a quick pass through uh, chapter 16 of Proverbs. Verse 1. We may make our plans, but God has the last word. Don't you just love the Proverbs? There's something just of treasure in a sentence all the time in the book of Proverbs. Today's Father's Day, and um, we're going to interrupt the series that we've been on, How to Fail-Proof Your Marriage. Sorry about that, but I I, want to talk about a topic that I believe is near and dear to men and to the heart of God, and that's the the topics of honor and authority, which um, I think will relate. But before we get into that, there was a little bit of a controversy last week in the message when I quoted a movie. And I quoted a movie where, um, a, where someone says, compliment her on her shoes, girls like that. Do you remember me making that comment? And there was a little bit of a controversy about what movie it came from. And some people claim to have, to have said the correct movie, but I'm not so sure that I heard that. So I'm going to clear that up right now. You know, I'm a little nervous. You'll be fine. Just be yourself be myself yeah and um compliment her shoes her shoes yeah girls like that okay thanks Yes, okay, so it was the American president. It wasn't, you got mail, I was wrong, you were right. Here's, here's an ice cream for your, per, your business. Okay. Okay, that's another way to fail-proof your marriage um, in five weeks. So today I want to open up um, the scripture. And uh, <laughs> I, don't want to, I, want, I want to start with a scripture that the apostle John wrote when he was in his 90s. He was, he was in his 90s. 2 John verse 8 says this, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. You know, God calls himself a rewarder in Genesis 15 to Abram. He even says, I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. And I, I, I noticed that, that as John is saying this to us, he doesn't say receive a reward. He says receive a full, full reward. This means that that there must be a no reward scenario or a partial reward scenario too. It's interesting that he doesn't say, hey, make sure that you live in a way that you get a partial reward. Why doesn't he say that? I I believe it's because God wants you and me, he wants every one of us to receive a full reward. And uh, Proverbs 11.31 says that the righteous are going to be rewarded on the earth. You should expect, you should expect you righteous people to be rewarded on the earth. And I, I think it's worth mulling this topic, thinking about it. You know, what does it, what does it mean, God, to live in such a way that I'm going to get a full reward? What is a full reward? Sounds pretty good. And I think when you want to get a picture of what the will of God is, one of the best places to go is in the Gospels. So uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to look kind of at, at large at the Gospels today, and we'll get into a few specific scriptures. But we're going to see some things that happened during the ministry of Jesus where, where some people who encountered Jesus received a full reward. And there were other people who encountered Jesus, and they received a partial reward. And there are other people who encountered Jesus and received no reward at all. And not everybody who encountered Jesus got that full reward. And I'd like to know why. Wouldn't you like to know why? So that when you encounter him, you get the full boat. You don't want just the partial deal here. So 
Um, I want to look at a few incidences that happened in the ministry of Jesus, starting in, in one in Mark 6. Now, Jesus is coming into the city where the people there are looking for the Messiah. They understand the scripture. They're anticipating his coming. The, these people, they're not, they're not knowing it's going to be Jesus, but they're, they're, they're thinking this is the season, according to scripture, where the Messiah should come, come wandering in at some point. Mark 6, verse 5 says, Now, here's what happened when Jesus shows up in this town. Now, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That scripture has always just kind of made me scratch my head. Isn't that odd? This, we're talking about God here. I mean, he, he, in, in other cities, he would go and blind people would see, deaf people would start hearing, crippled people would get up and walk, dead people got up and breathed again. And he comes to this town. Maybe he you know, heals a couple of headaches or something, or maybe a minor backache. But none of the big things that were going on in some of those other cities. Nothing like that. And, and, and there, are, there are words in verse 5 that just, they just stun me because it says, he could do no mighty work. Now, if the Bible said he wouldn't do any mighty work, I could get along with that because that would be an indication of his will. But it doesn't say that he, that he wouldn't. It says that he could not. That means he was restrained. Yeah, Jesus was restrained. God was restrained. Is that possible? I think it must be because he could do no mighty work. He was on the cross and he certainly could have come off if he wanted. He allowed himself in multiple places to be restrained. It was by choice. But the point was he's in a place and something is restraining him. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. The Amplified Version says he was not able to do. I don't know, wait a minute. You know, just, this just is, you're the son of God. You have the spirit with you without measure everywhere all the time. Yet you come into this city and you could do no mighty work. I want to know about that. <laughs> I want to know about this. This scripture has always kind of, because if I find out what restrains Jesus, I might get a clue about the things that maybe restrain Terry. That's worth it to me to know. I think the answer comes in the two previous verses. Mark uh, 6, verses 3 and 4. The people are talking and they say, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor. Everybody say honor. <laughs> honor. Except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Jesus comes to Nazareth, place where he grow, grew up. It's the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath, everybody's at church. They're all at the temple together. He walks in, goes up on the platform, and he picks up the scriptures, and he starts to, to read from the book of Isaiah. And he begins to read a very familiar passage out loud. Now, everybody that's there knew this scripture. They knew it because it had to do with the coming of their Messiah. So they were familiar with it. And Jesus reads these words from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now the word anointed there is the same word from which the word Messiah comes. Messiah means anointed one. So Jesus is in, in the New Testament, we, we see a word similar. It's in Greek and that word is Christos. So when we say the phrase Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah. That's what that title actually means. Okay. Um, to preach, the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops reading there. This is a complete rabbit trail that I'm not going down, but sometimes it's really interesting to study out why he stopped at that moment. There's a very good prophetic reason, but we're not going to get into that today. And everything was fine until he closed the, the, the book and he says what we read in Luke 4.21. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's when the buzz started to happen in the room. You know, people are sitting with you and, and, and some, you know, guys turns to his wife and says, Tammy, isn't this the kid that was in Susie's math class? You know, isn't this the kid that was on Bobby's football team? Hey, honey, isn't this the guy that made our dining room set? Right? That's the conversation that's going on in that room right then. And these people had this image of how their Messiah was going to come with a thundering train behind them. They had this image, they had this expectation about how he would come because that very same prophet that he had been reading for had written some other words, prophesying, telling how he's going to come. You find it in Isaiah 9 where he say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his government there will be no end. And so they've taken that painting and they've got an image now of how the Messiah will be when he shows up. This, he was going to come delivering them from the Romans who had, had somehow taken, taken control and were oppressing them. He, he was going to somehow come in establishing the throne of David which would last forever and ever. But when Jesus shows up and he's one of their hometown boys, you know, he built the furniture in their home and now he's rolling in with a group of people that they look at him and they say, hey, wait, this is the, these are prostitutes and the mafia coming with him. Tax collectors that were with, tax collectors were the mafia of the day. So he, they look at who he's with and the fact that he's not coming in on a heart horse the first time. They're going, hold it. <laughs> this is not exactly what we're expecting. And that tells me something. It tells me something about me tells me something about us. Sometimes God sends you something you need in a package that you don't like. Happens sometimes. So when Jesus comes in a way that they don't expect him to come, they withhold honor from him. Everybody say honor. Honor. They withhold it. Honor, the Greek word, time, um, the, the literal, literal definition is evaluating. So if you, you know, said the word teammate to a Greek person, what that would picture, conjure up in their mind would be something about being valuable, about precious, you know, something like gold. And you don't just put gold in your junk drawer. You put it in someplace special. You protect it and you put it someplace. So other definitions of, of honor are to show appreciation, to esteem, to have favorable regard, to respect I mean, I think sometimes we can better understand, even better understand what a word means if we look at the, at the antonym, the opposite. The antonym of honor is dishonor, atemia, which means to treat as common, to treat as ordinary, to not show respect or value. So the opposite of honoring someone is to treat them as ordinary or common. 
And honor can be displayed in our actions, in our words, even in our thoughts. But all true honor originates in the heart. That's why Jesus said, quoting uh, Matthew, quoting Isaiah in Matthew 15, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. God says, my people have the actions of honor. They have the words of honor. Even sometimes they have the songs of honor. But they don't have true honor because honor comes from the heart. It's an outward flow of some reverential fear and respect of an almighty God. So Jesus shows up in his hometown. And because he comes in a way that they weren't expecting him to come, they withhold honor from him. So what they do is they they get a small reward. They get small, partial reward. A few backaches, maybe a couple headaches, but none of the big things. Why? I believe it's because of one word, honor. One word, honor. If, and, okay, so here's another story. Luke 5, um, Jesus is, is he's preaching in this big house. And scripture says that it's full of Pharisees and teachers of the law. So basically what we have is a pastor's conference. Pastor's meeting going on in a house, okay? A bunch of my peers are in a, in a, in a place and they're, they're having this meeting. And Jesus is, is and, and what the Bible says is that as he was teaching, it says the power of the Lord was there to heal them. Everybody say them. 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 Okay, so the power of the Lord is there to heal them. But none of them got healed. None of them got healed and until something happened where, where this group of guys outside can't get in and they, 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 they want to get somebody healed. They climb up on the roof, they tear the roof apart, and they lower a paralytic man down on ropes into the room. And Jesus sees their faith, and Scripture says, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. That makes all the Pharisees and the teachers' eyes get pretty big. And they started thinking. The word says they started thinking. They weren't saying this out loud. They were thinking, what did he just say? I mean, can he do that? I mean, there's, there's, there's this, this thought process going on. They didn't say, hey, Fred, did you hear that? They're thinking it. And the word says that Jesus perceived their thoughts, and he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. The Bible says these guys were greatly amazed. Greatly amazed. But none of them got healed. Even though the power of the Lord was there originally to heal them. If the power of the Lord was there originally to heal them, there has at least got to be one guy who needed healing. And in a group of 150 people, there's generally at least a dozen or more people who need some kind of healing. And they got nothing. They received no reward from heaven because they dishonored Jesus just in their thinking. Our thoughts count. They really do. Our thoughts count. In Matthew um, chapter 8, there's a story about the centurion, and, and he intersects and, and hunts down Jesus, and he hunts him down, and he comes to him, and he says, I need you to heal a servant back at my house. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your house, and I'll heal him. And the, and the centurion says, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy to have you come. You come to my house. All you have to do is speak the word and I know he'll be healed. And catch that. This is a a centurion, and he thinks he's not worthy. This is the conqueror saying to the conquered, I'm not worthy to come in your house. The the Romans had occupied, they had conquered the the, the area. And and this is kind of like, 
um, a four-star general in Iraq saying to a shopkeeper he wasn't, wouldn't be worthy to come to the shopkeeper's home. I mean, right, you get the picture. This, this guy is showing so much honor and so much deference to Jesus. He says, you don't have to come there. All you have to do is just speak the word because I'm a man under authority. I know what it is. If I say to one of my soldiers, go, I know they'll go. And I know if you just say he'll be healed, he'll be healed. And Jesus says this amazing thing. I haven't found this much faith in all of Israel. Did you catch what Jesus just said? He just said that centurion had more faith than John the Baptist. In all of Israel. I'm sure John the Baptist was in it. This man has more faith than, than anybody else. He had more faith than Mary. He had more faith than any of the disciples that were traveling around. That was a major statement. And as you, you, as you, as you go through scriptures, you'll, you'll see that because of his understanding of honor and authority, the centurion received a full reward. A full reward. I think you look at the scriptures and you'll see those who honored Jesus greatly got a full reward. Those who withheld honor from Jesus got a small or a partial reward. And those who dishonored him got nothing. They got nothing. Luke 13, 35 tells a story. And this, is, this happens what we call on Palm Sunday. So Jesus is making the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's a week before he's crucified. And scriptures very clearly explain what's going to happen. And they actually gave a calculation on the calendar. You could calculate it from when a, when a, when a certain thing happened in history that on a certain day that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem. And they should have known. And Jesus comes in and they didn't know. And he was broken hearted. God was broken hearted because the city wasn't expecting him. They hadn't really been students of the word. They didn't love God enough to pay attention. And and Jesus was, was broken hearted. Scripture says they should have known, but they refused to accept the, the one God sent that day because he wasn't packaged the way they expected and wanted him to be packaged. I say to you now that he says that Jesus says this in verse 35, Luke 13, 35. I say to you that you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's an interesting phrase. Sounds like something that we just say on Palm Sunday, and we do. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in. And, and we say that, but what's Jesus, what Jesus is literally saying is, I'm going to go now to be crucified. I'm going to heaven, and you're not going to see me again until you honor the one I send you in my name. This is God talking to them. It's an amazing statement, and it's obviously prophetic, but there's also a very practical application of that statement he made because sometimes you and I, we fail to honor those who come in the name of the Lord. We don't see their anointing because our expectations reject the package. They do. God speaks about that repeatedly in his scripture. Um, here's an example, John 13, 20. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who honors, now I'm substituting the word honors because it's one and the same for this statement. He who honors me, excuse me, he who honors whoever I send, honors me. And he who honors me, honors the Father who sent me. And God gives us a spiritual law in 1 Samuel 2. He says, those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. How would you lightly esteem God? I'm 
I don't know, it's by lightly esteeming the one Jesus sends to us, maybe. That's one way. I think it happens. It's not a very good idea to do when you want prayers to be answered. Just not very good. Matthew 10, verses 40 and 42. Here's another one. He who honors you honors me. And he who honors me honors him who sent me. He who honors a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who honors a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water honors them in the name of a disciple. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So I want to take a couple minutes and talk about um, the people around us. And um, there are three levels of people that we're going to encounter in life, and we're going to talk about levels of authority that we deal with. Um, So the three levels of people basically could be broken down to those in authority over us. This is represented by the prophet. Those who are on our level of authority, our peers, which would be the righteous man, and those who are entrusted to our authority, our little ones, somebody that we oversee. I really believe that honoring each of those levels of authority brings you certain rewards, certain heavenly given rewards. Why? Because Jesus said this, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of one of these, you did unto me. Jesus made that promise. So, so there's four areas of authority I want to talk about. Do you know that there are four areas of authority in your life? There are four. There are four. Romans 13.1 says this about authority. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Well, I don't like that scripture. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can tell me you like it, and I'll just be amazed. I mean, I mean, I chafe against that. That's my sin nature, my immaturity, my selfishness. Because, I mean, I see examples sometimes of some mean, cruel, dishonest authorities out there. You notice that all authorities of God, but their behavior is not. There's a distinction to be made, and we don't, we, we don't make that distinction. We, we blur that sometimes. The Bible is filled with examples of ungodly leaders. Their authority is of God, but their behavior is not. And this is kind of like we're Americans. We kind of get hung up right here. We do, because we try to understand kingdom principles, but we try to do it with a, a democratic mindset. You know, we do, we do. We, we want, you know, d- democracy is great for America. Let's vote on things, and I'm all for that. But if you try to relate to and connect with God, you will disconnect there because he's, it's not a democracy. He's a king. It's a monarchy. I mean, he's, he has, he has, he, he's not a figurehead king like, bless her heart, this lady in England. He's a real king with real rank, order, and authority. And if you insist on relating to God with a democratic mindset, you will never connect with the Lord. You just won't. So there are four areas of authority that God has delegated in each, each of our lives that we can find in Scripture. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to go over it a little bit. Those four areas are civil, which starts at the president and the vice president and right on down to the police officer with the radar gun. One I'm familiar with, but never tried to talk to. Um, a second, there are levels of authority in the family, and uh, we'll talk about that. There are social authorities, bosses, coaches, teachers, and then there is church authority, which Jesus specifically referred to when he said prophet. So let's just take, take those and just spend a couple of minutes on them. Civil authority, Romans 13, 3, 3 to 4 says, For rulers, civil authorities, are not to be feared by those who do good, but by those who do evil, because they are God's servants working for your own good. I'm going to tell a story here. 
and this is why, one of the main reasons I bumped off of my marriage series to, do, to talk about this message, because this is fresh, about a week and a half, a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, for a while, we've been talking about enlarging our sanctuary. We add seats at the back of services. People frequently have to sit in the foyer. Uh, it just breaks my heart. And there's this dilemma, because we have our children in here, and that's important to us, and so the place gets full. And there's some room right there. We could just blow these walls out and enlarge the room, and that's our plan. In fact, we have a plan to knock out two walls here and expand and make more room and add chairs and, because we want to keep the kids with us and make room for people. I see people come and sit in the foyer, and I see people come and, and not stay, and it just breaks my heart. And so our leaders have talked about this for quite a while here. And uh, so we've come up with a plan. We're going to do that. And we actually are going to enclose the outside porch so that you can go to the restroom without walking across the middle. And also so that if you're in the fellowship hall, you can get to the restrooms without going inside and outside. All of that, right? Plus, thanks, honey. I'm glad you're with me on that. <clears throat> Plus, we have a plan. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this in a meeting sometime soon. But we were going to add a little bit more foyer air so we can get more coffee, I guess, for some of those coffee drinkers. <laughs> So, so the council um, and I and others have been working on this plan for quite a while, and um, we put our plan together, and of course, being as submitted as we, we need to be, we applied to the county for permission to do this project. Well, they said, sure, you can do it. Give us your paperwork. We'll process it for you. And then they, they changed their mind and said, no, you got to have a public hearing. And then they said, no, you don't need a public hearing. And then you do have to have a public hearing. Of course, all of this is taking place over a long period of time. Now, to me, in my past couple of decades, building departments have been like um, Lex Luthor to Superman. I'm the Superman. They're the Lex Luthor. Just in case you wondered. <laughs> and it seems like I have continually banged my head against a, a wall. I don't make, it doesn't make sense. We spent money and all these things, and it's just really, really frustrated me. And I have talked about that privately. I've talked about it in meetings. I probably may have even mentioned it here. And I'm quite certain that when I've talked about it, I've allowed my frustrations to show in less than a respectful and honoring way. I'm not proud of that, but the Lord has kind of, you know, the Lord has a very tender thumb that fits right here. It's just pick me up and pin me to the wall, and I'm going to go, okay, I hear you, God. And, <clears throat> you know, what did you say, Terry? You know, kind of a thing. And I think sometimes our Father needs to do that with us. He needs to get our attention and say, hold on a minute here. Do you realize where authority comes from? You may not like what they're doing, but you are dishonoring the office. Stop it. <sighs> So I was in this recent process and frustrated again and because they had changed their mind again. And we have, a, a couple of months ago, spent about $6,000 on engineering plans and permit requests in order to cross T's and dot I's that they said we needed to do. And then they came back after two months and said, oh, change the plan, got to do something different here. And I just got really frustrated with it. And uh, I'm sure I was venting to a few leaders and others. Or, and if it was you, I'm sorry if you got singed. I really, I really am not, I'm, I'm being cute here, but I really repent of that. Because I know that's just not good for me, because it dishonors something that the Lord has established. So the Lord's just kind of working this out in me. In the meantime, so now the county has said, you have to have a public hearing. This is going to be a six-month process at least, and it's certainly more expensive to knock out two interior non-load-bearing walls. It doesn't seem right. 
So I said to our engineer, hey, make another request. Tell them we want to take the part of the project that they think needs a public hearing. Separate that so we can just do the inside work and make room for people. So he says, okay. So he goes back, and they start bouncing back and forth. Our engineer in the, in the county, it goes back and forth for a number of weeks, and it's making no forward progress. Our engineer contacts me one day. It's about the same time the Lord is really working my heart. I'm sitting in my study at home working on, a, on, a, on one of the marriage sermons, and the Lord stops me in my tracks, and he, this is before I know what's going on. He stops me in my tracks of this issue about honor, and I'm completely on a rabbit trail that has nothing to do with marriage sermon. And, and, and I, I get up out of my office, and I go into Lisa, and I said, Honey, the Lord has really been dealing with me about honor. I've got to really change my tongue and my attitude about the county building department because it dishonors them. And I'm sure that my failure in this is impacting my church family. I can't let that happen. That's why I stand in front of you and tell you I'm sorry. Tell me, thank you very much. Thank you. I mean, I needed to hear that. Um, I mean, thank you for that. So we had this conversation. It was probably within half an hour I get an email from our engineer. This is going nowhere. Could you get involved in this? He sends me an email. You know, could you get involved and make the case? I said, sure. So I stopped working on the sermon, and I started writing a letter to the county to make our case. And uh, I spent quite a while, probably an hour and a half, to write a one-page letter. And I thought it was really eloquent, and it was really well stated. I got all done with it, and I said, okay. And the lawyer said, not good enough, start over. I mean, it's not like I heard an audible voice, but you know when you have the Lord's pleasure and when you haven't really got there, right? <laughs> You know, and so I rewrote it again and a second time, and I filled it, not with platitudes, not with patronizing, but genuine honor. I started saying, you know what? As a church, we stand for righteousness, and we want to do the right thing. We recognize that what you do is a public service, and sometimes people are frustrated with you, and I'm sorry if we've come across that way. We will submit ourselves to what you decide. Here's our case, and we would like you to consider this option. So I rewrote the letter. And it was full of honor. Made the same case, but it was full of honor. And I said, okay. And I said, go. You know, send on the email. Now, it was going from me to our engineer. He was going to do whatever he would do. Send it to the county official, and then we would hear from him. Go. Seven minutes later. Seven minutes, count them. Bing, my inbox. And it's a letter from the county's senior planner. Well, according to what the pastor says, there's no need for the interior work to require a public hearing. It turned around in seven minutes, count them. And uh, praise God. I know enough about having been corrected lovingly by God before to know that when that there was a complete nexus there. There was a connection between the fact that I was trying to righteously represent us before the Lord could then put his hand of blessing on something and reward that. And I don't, I, I, I held this up. I don't claim, claim any credit for making, uh, you know, getting us across this goal line, but I held this up. And the Lord said, okay, I'll reward this now because this is doing something that I can reward. And um, wow. So that, that happens. Okay, verse six. That is also why you pay taxes because the authorities are working for God when they fulfill their duties. So the next time you see these flashing blue lights behind you, don't bind the devil. 
Because he's not working for the devil. He's working for God. This is when you pray for mercy. Okay? You pray for mercy at that point. Verse, verse 7. Civil authority says, Pay them what you owe them. Pay them with your personal and property taxes. And show respect and honor for them all. You mean you're supposed to show honor for mean, cruel, dishonest authority? Well, let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Fear God, honor the king. Respect and reverence God, honor the king. Peter's kind of throwing down the glove saying, you know, how can you say you fear God, somebody who you don't see? How can you say you really respect and honor God, somebody you don't see, when you can't even show honor to the people that are right there in front of you that are God sent? There's more to that permit story. So he says, you can go ahead when you don't need a building, you don't have to have the public hearing. So I wrote back, you know, seven more minutes, wasn't very long. Thank you so much. Um, can you give me information about what we need to do to get that building permit? Because we'd already applied for the building permit for this whole thing and the public hearings and all that stuff. It's balled up and all that. So now I'm just submitting and saying, show me what I need to do. Go silent. Don't hear anything. And it goes silent for like a week or a week and a half. And someone somewhere uh, at the county said, yeah, you should be able to pick up your permit at a certain day. So a week and a half later, I go walking in when they said it would be available. On a Monday morning, I walk into the building department. Hi, I'm Terry from Crossroads Church, and um, I'm supposed to be able to pick up a permit. The nice lady at the reception counter who was, was, I was about the 15th person, 14 of them were contractors who knew what they were doing, had grilled her, and now I come in, and I don't know what I am doing. And I'm trying to be nice, and she says, well, do you have a number? I said, no, I just was told by so-and-so, and I started saying the names of the people, and she was obviously, you know, okay, let me look it up, see if I can find it. Can't find a permit under that. That's still in planning, and I see this thing's in, it's still in planning. So it looks to me like it's all still in planning. You can't have a building permit yet. Okay, thank you. And I honorably left the room, and I thought, oh, Frustration again, bureaucracy, bureaucracy. And I started, you know, keep it down, Terry. Keep this honorable. I drive home because I expected to come out with a building permit to do this interior work because we're trying to do it right. So um, <clears throat> I come home. There's a, there's a note in my email box from the building official who issues the building permits. Um, basic, here's the long and the short of it, she says. <laughs> she says, you don't need... I don't see any reason to make the church pay for a building permit. You can go ahead with your interior work without a permit. Really? I want a permit. Give me a permit. You know. Um, literally, I, 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 I wanted to make sure that I made sure. I had it in writing once. I wrote it back a second time. I said, are you saying I don't actually need a permit and I can have permission to do this work? She writes back again, yes, you're fine. The only issues that would come up with whether you have emergency lighting and exit signs, and I can catch that later when we do the rest of the projects. Like all of a sudden, they, they're, they're doing the right thing and giving us grace and mercy more than we needed. I mean, they could have said, you got to give us a few hundred bucks for a building permit and go through inspections. But instead, she just said, go ahead on it. I, I just, you know, God does follow-ups to check up on us, too, by the way. If he teaches you a lesson, you can expect a, a pop quiz later. 
<laughs> Second level of authority is family authority. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 says, honor your father and your mother. Not just your natural, your biological father and mother, by the way. I think it could be spiritual. Which is the first commandment, and it comes with a promise. That it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. That, I'm, I'm certain that that scripture says live long and prosper. <laughs> Positive. Check it out, okay? And the problem, the problem with this, I think, for our culture is that our society is training children to be disrespectful to their parents. Turn on the TV, watch a movie. There's a, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy 27 that basically says that there's a curse, God's curse, on anybody who dishonors their parents. Um, if you look at the Ten Commandments and the order of those commandments, you'll find things like murder, adultery, stealing. But before any of those, it's honor your parents. Another, another level of authority is social. These are your bosses, your teachers, coaches at school, wherever. Um, Let as many as our servants, students, employees, athletes, under the yoke count their own masters, their teachers, their bosses, their coaches, worthy of all honor that the name of God and doctrine be not blasphemed. And then church authority. 1 Thessalonians 5, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work that they work among you. And there are other scriptures too. I want you to know something uh, just in your behalf that we have a church council here. You can take that slide down. We have a church council here that, that um, just makes sure that, that your staff and Lisa and I in particular feel loved and cared for, and we do. So I want you to know that that responsibility is being met well by people who represent you well and are godly, and, and Lisa and I are really, really grateful. We are really grateful to be here, to be a part of this family, and grateful for the way we're cared. So thank you for that. We're okay, th- so we have those in authority over us that we honor. Then how's talking about our peers, scripture says Matthew ten forty one, and he who honors a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And then, of course, those entrusted to us. Wow, we're supposed to honor those that we supervise, those that we lead? Yeah. Matthew ten forty two. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water honors them. In the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And those entrusted to us, Jesus isn't talking about our leaders there, not talking about our peers. He's talking about wives, children, employees, the players on the team that you coach, the kids down the street. You know, here's about, about our wives. Let me just take a side trail for a minute. Scripture says, husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean that she is beneath you. It means you can bench press more than she can bench press. That's pretty much what it means. Okay, so the weaker vessel means that it doesn't mean anything else. She's an heir with you, Scripture says, to the grace of life. And Scripture also says that if you don't honor your wife, your prayers won't be answered. They won't actually be heard, you know. So, you know, the picture there is somebody says, hey, I see you've got a problem. Can I pray for you? You say, no, you don't need to pray for me. I see how you talk to your wife, you know. (laughs) 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 No, don't do that. (laughs) No, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I really believe that there are, are, are rewards for honoring these people, including the waiter at the restaurant. You know, Sunday is a bad day in most restaurants for tips. People get out of church, and if you ask out there in the restaurant industry, they'll say Sunday, middle of the day, not so good for tips. Look them in, their, look, look them in the eye. When someone is your waiter, look them in the eye, ask them their name. Take a minute and talk to them. I realize they're your servant, but don't treat them that way. 
They're there to serve you, but, you know, honor them. Look them in the eye and, you know, talk to them a little bit and show some care and sensitivity. And then leave them a tip. If you can't afford the tip, then don't have dessert. (laughs) Give them a tip. I mean, this is part of their income. I remember when I would really, when we were first married, I didn't want to give tips. I was resentful about it. I'm thinking, I paid for my meal. It's your job. They're paying you a salary. Yeah, they give them something but they don't really provide for them a salary. Give them a tip. I look at it now as as an opportunity to bless somebody, not just with a tip. Make sure you're a blessing. Um, I'm running out of time, so I've got to bring this to a close. Um, I'm going to tell you one more quick story. I was at this previous church where it was a big parking lot, and this was a number of years ago when... um, skateboarders were all over, but there were no skate parks. And so you'd see skateboarders, and we had a large parking lot, and they'd be out there doing stuff. And most businesses did not want skateboarders because they would you know, grind on the edges of things and break and ruin them. Well, one day, there's a couple of guys out there, this lot, and I thought, you know, I can go out there and confront them and say, you better not break anything, or I could go out there and honor them. I was really thinking this way, and it was an empty parking lot, so look at me. I don't look like a skateboarder, and I probably look like a guy that's going to yell at you if you're on a skateboarder, right? I just have that look. <laughs> so, so I saw these two, two kids skateboarding, and I thought, you know, I'm kind of curious anyway because they have some things. So I went over to them, and they, they saw me come, and they pick up their skateboards. like, yeah, okay, what are you going to say? And I said, hi, guys. Hi. Um, can I ask you a question? Yeah. And I, this was a legitimate question. I said, when you're skating along and then you get to a curb and you jump over it, how come the board comes with you? Because gravity, it should stay there, but you do that. And we got into this conversation about how they did it. You squeeze your, there's some, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. But it's a technique and a tool. I mean, there's something about the skateboard that actually works. And I was curious about that. But what I did was I developed a relationship with these guys, even if it was that one time and I took interest in what they were doing, and we became people rather than an authority squashing someone. And I didn't tell them to quit skateboarding in the, in the lot, but I watched them. They skateboarded, but they took more care as they went around. And it's just as simple as that. I honored them, and I'd be, I feel like the church that, in that place got rewarded because they respected the church in a different way. Why do we honor people? Why do we attach value to people? Is it to get a reward? No, no. We honor those because we realize that somebody else has already established the value for those people. And he paid the most expensive price in the universe to attach that value, his son. And I just think about this, that we need to remember, and you should remember, you were his enemy when he paid that price for you. So how can we possibly honor them any less than Jesus did? Now, I I realize we're going to wrap this up now. I realize that your temptation now is to go out there and be nice to everybody, and that's fine, but it's only going to last for a week. (laughs) You need to cry out to the Lord to make a change right in there, to make a change right in there, and that's what I'm going to pray. Whoever gives to the, the least of one of these little ones only a cup of cold water, they do it and they shall by no means lose their reward. Happy Father's Day to you. And I would say happy Father's Day to you mothers as well, because without you, we couldn't be fathers. So way to go, mothers. (laughs) I honor you all, and I'm grateful for you. Let's pray. Lord, today, I pray that what it is that you want to massage into our souls 
that would honor you would get in. That, Lord, sometimes when you are trying to do something or be something in our lives and we maybe reject the package, I just ask you to forgive us for that, Lord, that there might be an increasing sensitivity in us to what we see going on around us that's you. And, Lord, when we see authorities who are dishonest or mean or cruel or take advantage, forgive us when we somehow withhold honor from the office. Help us to figure out how to respond righteously, Lord, because we want to do that. I want to pray, too, Lord, for people in this room who heard those last words that, he, that you paid that price for me when I was your enemy. There may be people here who wouldn't see themselves as, as your enemy, but they don't know you, God. And yet you love them so much that you paid that ultimate, ultimate price. I pray, Lord, that something of the truth of your hope for our tomorrows and our eternity would sink into their souls. And as the Holy Spirit draws, Lord, there would be an openness to your word. Church, keep your eyes closed for a minute as we pray. And I, I ask God that, um, that you would just speak life and truth and hope to people. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord before, there is a decision that you need to make that will impact your eternity. And the decision is, what will you do with God's Son? Scripture says that there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. But it also says that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. There will be a day when the Lord will open a book, and if your name is written in the book, then you'll be forever in eternity in heaven. If your name's not in the book, that's not where you'll end up. If you want your name written in that book, what happens is you call on the name of Jesus. If you never open your heart to the Lord, you can do that right now. I pray that you would do that. I'd just like to agree with you, and I'm going to just pause for a moment. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord and you want to do that now, would you just look about with me, with me and look meet, meet eyes so I can pray with you? I'm going to look to the left, my left of the room. Now, if I don't see you, give me a little hand wave because I don't want to miss anybody. Okay, good. Lord, thank you for a room full of people who have already put their faith in you. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus.